Keith and Emery Kittle with the 12-Minute Dog Podcast. That stands for Discussions of Guidance. And today, we've got a doozy. How are you doing today, Emery? I'm doing great, Mike. Yeah, this one's going to be interesting. It's um, basically a year later. What do we know about the grain-free um, conversation about is it safe for pets or not? I know. You know, I mean, a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than a year, you couldn't throw a rock at your computer, which you wouldn't want to do anyway, without hitting an article about grain-free diets and how it had a cardiac kind of thing going with dogs. And um, There's been a lot of research done, and we're finding that, again, just like, you know, anything else in the world, if we go all one way or all the other way, something's going to be wrong with it. I I think when you and I have had conversations it's more a case of how to be balanced than it is to say one thing's good, one thing's bad. But the cool part is today we're going to talk about some of the research that's come out over the last year mm-hmm. and what we've kind of figured out. So yeah, let's, I guess, take a minute and kind of what started the old hullabaloo about grain-free food. Okay, so grain-free food really started when um, a lot more pet food customers were getting educated about nutrition and they were finding that you know corn wheat and soy aren't that great of products to put in dog food and so somehow this and this was uh, wasn't nutrition or research based but more market based they started coming out with these formulas that were considered grain free right and so that means they don't have any grains in them then they replace those with peas you know, some sort of a pulse ingredient, which are legumes, peas, lentils, chickpeas, and uh, potatoes. And right. So with that, um, everybody went from basically feeding a, a, a uh, not everybody, but a lot of the foods that were grain-based, then they started feeding foods that were pea-based or potato-based. And so they weren't really getting a better food. They were just getting different ingredients. So they weren't getting the foods with uh, the ingredients they didn't want, but there might have been concern with what they were actually feeding then. And I guess for my mindset as a dog trainer, and I used to work at one of the big box retailers of pet supplies, you know, we went from, like you said, corn and wheat, then it was brown rice, mm-hmm. then it was oatmeal, then it was pumpkin, then it got to be even, you know, like you said, now it's not grains and it's into the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things you, you actually taught me was, you know, Sweet potato is not so bad, but a regular potato turns directly into sugar, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that brings us to the idea of why everybody likes french fries so damn much. Oh, I love french uh, fries. They taste great, but they're probably not good for us. <laughs> right. So I think it's, you know, when when the dog food companies figured out that, well, people don't like corn and wheat, so if we keep getting rid of it, we'll battle the last bag that came out that said this. Well, we'll say this. It almost became an arms race to get away from grain. Right. But then the question was, well, what are we putting there in its place? That's exactly it, is that there wasn't great research going into the foods that were coming out. <clears throat> and so anyway, there was a study done by um, a couple of different studies, but they were done by a um, veterinarian school. And it was showing that they believed that grain-free foods were causing dilated cardiomyopathy. Right. And if you're not familiar with that, dilated cardiomyopathy is a um, it's a disease that is primarily genetically um, a genetic disease, and mainly with large and giant breed dogs. Okay. And what it is is it uh, causes enlargement of the heart, mainly the left ventricle, mm-hmm. and it makes it so you lose pressure and the the 
you know, the heart doesn't do its job properly. Okay. And there's not really good treatment for that. And so it was really scary. And they were saying that, that uh, they were finding all sorts of problems with dogs getting this. Um, what they didn't tell you was that this study was really faulty and that uh, they didn't, it wasn't peer reviewed. And the, um, the people that had actually benefited are the ones that had donated money to these schools. Absolutely. So if you Anybody follow, who's ever taken a stats class, one of the first things your teacher will tell you is statistics can prove anything. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how you argue your point, which side of the point, which side of the argument you're coming from. Right. So I think it's always important that if you're going to read research, um, the first thing we need to know is who paid for the research. Right. Because they're going to want that research to show their side of the story. Right. Um, so, as we see these 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 studies, then the veterinarians got involved, right? Yes. Um, then, uh, not only did the veterinarians get involved, the FDA got involved. Okay. So, they, they put this study out. Uh, it was, uh, actually, they put it out as an editorial with a veterinarian um, publication. And um, they named it... Um, something that was actually unusual as well for an editorial. It was, um, I may butcher this a little bit, but it was um, grain-free and dilated cardiomyopathy, what we know so far. And um, they didn't know. They didn't know for sure. But the FDA took that and ran with it and actually called out 16 pet food companies saying that these pet food companies um, have food that's unsafe for you. Okay. And, you know, a year later now, they've, they've completely debunked this study. Uh, it was done poorly. Um, these, a lot of these dogs weren't, uh, were also getting table scraps. They were getting treats. They were getting a lot of other things. And if you look at the sheer volume of pets that we feed grain-free foods to in the country, over 10 million, well, this 450 or 430, I think, were in the, in the study. Since then, I think there's only been 1,100 you know, pet owners that have come forth and said, my dog has DCM. And it's, and then when we looked at everything, there was no correlation. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So has, has that list of 16 dog foods ever been vindicated or were they ever said, well, yeah, you're okay now? Mm-hmm. Or are they still on a list somewhere? Well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, like, like you said earlier, headlines, uh, are, what mainly people what, what they look at right so these were big headlines <clears throat> in fact veterinarians still today are are pushing this information okay. um but yes it has been retracted but quietly quietly so i doubt if the same enthusiasm was gone to retract it as it was to push it out so we can we can probably say that some grains are probably not good for dogs mm-hmm. other grains are probably not as bad for dogs and some grains are totally okay with dogs right it just kind of depends on each the the specific grain not mm-hmm. grains in general so i guess Correct. maybe we should quit generalizing grain all grains into one stereotypical little bucket that would be great yeah, and then also, you know, I think the key is to having a meat-based diet. So yep. a lot of these foods out there, they may say real meat is the number one ingredient, but they're really not. But we've, we've done that podcast. Right. You know, where meat is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for our listeners, though, when we see meat, is it really balance we're looking for in the fillers? Uh, you know what? The limited amount. Limited uh, amount. My recommendation is to look at... Um, foods that actually will tell you 
how much meat protein is in the food. Okay. Um, that way it's easier to see how much how many carbohydrates are in there. Carbohydrates aren't bad for dogs, but they're not really necessary. Right. Um, it's more in dry food uh, that, that you see carbs, and that's mainly to help bind the food together. Plus, there are it's great fiber. I mean, fiber isn't isn't a bad thing at all for, for pets. Uh, there's two different kinds, and that really does help with nutrition. What is a decent amount of protein that should be in a dog food? I would say anything 60% and above okay. is, uh, 60% I would want to be at a minimum. Okay. I mean, even our diet food that we sell, uh, it has over 60% uh, meat protein. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as we are a consumer just going into the store, grabbing a bag of food, and they've heard this podcast and we want to flip it over and look at the ingredient label, mm-hmm. let's educate them on what we want to see what we don't want to see. Okay. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, you want to look and see if... The first ingredient is a named meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's chicken, that's great. Chicken's um, a fantastic ingredient. The only thing is, chicken is raw chicken. So once all the all the ingredients on pet food labels are listed by weight prior to cooking, well, all dry foods cooked. So that's going to lose seventy to eighty percent of its moisture weight. So it's really not the first ingredient. It's more like fifth, sixth, or seventh. Um, we use meals in ours, but named meat meals. That's really important. So chicken meal, beef meal, pork meal, though that's going to be exactly what it is. It's going to be 300% more protein by weight than the raw mm-hmm. foods. So you want that to be first. And then you look to see if there's multiple versions of other ingredients. That's called um, ingredient splitting. Mm-hmm. So if there's you know three versions of rice or corn or peas, that's the thing. Some of these yeah, add them all foods. three together to see what the actual number is. Right, right. right. Thanks for finishing my thought there. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things. Some of these um, foods that are considered great foods have like nine versions of peas in right. them. Some of the grain freeze. Now you bring up peas. Mm-hmm. Isn't there something kind of bad about peas? Yes. In the process, of how they break it down or something right okay so like you said all things in moderation right um if i were to eat um soy every once in a while in my diet that's fine if it was you know once once a month once even once a week probably but if i eat it every day like your dog that's gonna eat the same food every day right i might start producing milk right (laughs) and i definitely have higher levels of estrogen and i wouldn't want that right so it's the same thing with pet food but peas um have are very high in what's called lectins and um, a way of looking at that is that's the plant's defense system mm-hmm. and um, too much of those can actually destroy the intestinal lining of your your pet's gut and um, if if that goes long enough they will no, not long not be able to uh, absorb nutrition anymore okay okay <laughs> so as we kind of wrap this up and come around now, number one, you said there were multiple studies, and we kind of I've bounced you all over this topic to get mm-hmm. as many things you know out there as possible. Are there any other studies you want to talk about? Um, as far as studies go, um, I don't know if that's that important. There's a lot of information out there you can find. Uh, Dr. George Collings has okay. some really good information. Um, Dr. Ryan Yamka has some really good uh, information out there, but um, basically that's. That's really about it. Um, as I would say the things to avoid in grain-free, um, that's, if you're going to feed grain-free, which I think is a very valid option if your pet has problems with grains, right. um, I would look for sweet potatoes yep. instead of white potatoes. If in, As far as peas go, I would only go with two versions of peas at the most. 
Um, you probably need that many included with sweet potatoes in order to be the proper binder, but I'd avoid it if it has three or more. Um, I avoid minidione. That's in some of the grain-free foods. Other than that, um, you know, like you said earlier uh, when we were talking before the show, um, it's not just all things in moderation, but some pets are different than other pets, right? Absolutely. So um, I know I have a gluten intolerance. If I eat too much gluten, it's it's not fun to be around me. But my wife can eat it all day long and be fine. Right. So find out what your pet, what works well with your pet, and go with that. I think it's also important to remember that, you know, I always talk, you know, when I'm in the training world with, you know, dogs, is that the veterinarian and the trainer should be pulling in the same direction and the dog is trained twice as fast. And by no means are we saying that the vets are wrong or telling you lies or anything else. I think there is so much information out there on this topic that's being generalized into this good or bad bucket Mm -hmm. that we're not spending enough time maybe doing the research we should on our own versus just listening to people on either side of the equation. Yeah, it is hard for sure. And yes, I don't think veterinarians out there are trying to manipulate people. I think that the where they get a lot of their information um, are from some of the big five pet food companies. And obviously they are probably, they have an agenda. Absolutely. Everybody's got an agenda. Right. You know, and I think that's probably, probably the perfect way to end this episode Mm -hmm. is to remember, I don't care who you're talking to, which trainer, which nutritionist, which, which pet food salesman, everybody's got their own agenda. Mm-hmm. You need to be concerned with your agenda and doing the best you can for your pet. Absolutely. So I think, I think what I would end the show with would say, get, do your research and make the best decision you feel best for your pet. Mm-hmm. What would you, what would you, what, what's your takeaway? Yeah. Um, the only thing with that is where do you get that research? If Absolutely. you Google things, um, I Googled uh, grain-free, is grain-free free healthy for your pet? And everything that you find on the internet right now is about that faulty study. Right. Because it went crazy. So it, it is challenging. Um, you, I've got some uh, really good nutritionists that I trust. If anybody's interested in, in following them, they can reach out to me at emery, E-M-E-R-Y, at nskansascity.com. And I'd be happy to share that with you. Well, you know, it brings up another point that since the last time we did a podcast, and we're going to run a little bit over the 12 minutes here, so I apologize for breaking our own rules. But we have a Facebook page now. Woohoo! We have a Facebook page. And the main reason, uh, my 18-year-old son forced us to do it, uh, but it, it's the easiest way for our listeners to communicate with us. So nice. like, if they want to know more about this, they can hop on the Facebook page. They can answer a question. I can get you in touch with Emery. Emery can get you in touch with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you guys have got questions about this and you want to see some of the research or you have questions, please reach out on that Facebook page. Sure. Just type in 12-Minute Dog Podcast. It's there. Um, and we will get you the information. Um, it's also a great place. We can't wait to start getting a little bit more of an audience here where you guys start telling us what you want these podcasts to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, um, we have social media. It's another Facebook page to manage, but we'll, we'll, we'll survive. And uh, hopefully we'll hear from you guys. And um, stay tuned. You're going to get some uh, trainer's tips and some nutritional nuggets. And we will see you guys later. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Let's take a minute to meet our sponsors.
If you love the topics you've been listening to, remember, Mike has written tons of books on dog training, and all are available on Amazon.com. Just search the name Mike Deeth, D-E-A-T-H-E. They are available in audio, ebook, and print. And now, back to the podcast. Hey guys, it's Mike with KISS Dog Training, and this is the training tip of the week, which really isn't a training tip, but um, we are here locally in Kansas City, um, and we are going through one of those wonderful heat waves. I think the um, heat index here in Kansas City today was about 105, and it's been that way for about the last week, and the we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Next week's going to be a lot better, but I just want to take a few minutes and talk about some of the hot weather safety tips with dogs. Um, a lot of my clients always give me crap because I wear Birkenstocks or I'll have flip-flops on when I'm walking dogs. And while I think it's an awesome fashion statement, um, it's really not for any other reason than you'll catch me a lot of times pulling my foot out of my flip-flop and putting it on the concrete or the pavement. And if it is too hot for my foot, it's too hot for the dog's foot. Um, And I think that's one of the big things. Dogs are really stoic when it comes to pain. I have seen many a dog who will go on a walk with their owner because they love their owner and they love their walks. And when they get home, you've got second degree burns on their pads and it's blistered and it's it's a nightmare at the vet. Um, We also have to consider water intake and whether they can handle the heat. Let's face it, dogs have one of the most inefficient heating and cooling systems in the world. Basically, when they pant, the air that is rolling over their tongue is cooling the blood that's in their tongue and sending it back into the body. Imagine how many times they have to rotate that blood through the tongue, that kind of radiator system. It's not an efficient system. The only place on a dog's body where there are sweat glands is the pads of their feet. Um, so they just don't do well with heat. I mean, honestly, if it's above 90 degrees, I start shortening sessions as a dog trainer. If it's 95, I'll only do inside work. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy to put a dog into heat stroke and it's really easy to accidentally kill a dog. And that is an absolute last thing we want to do. So with it being so hot, please, uh, use the back of your hand to put on the pavement if you're wearing tennis shoes. Wear flip-flops, use your feet, give the dogs access to grass to where they can walk on something that's a little bit cooler. If you're normally doing a 30-minute walk, a 5-10 minute walk, it's only one day. For the one time you'll hear the trainer say you don't practice in hot weather. So, uh, if you've got any other questions, hit us up on the Facebook page and uh, we'll see you guys next time. There's a reason why the only dry food we carry is Nature Select. It's because we feel it is the healthiest, most nutritious pet food for your pet. After 27 years, it's never been recalled and has only gotten better with time. We love it and we know your pet will too. Free home delivery from your favorite local pet food supply. Hey guys, it's Emery, and now it's time for the nutritional nugget. Okay, today we're going to be talking about something that is very important that you pay attention to. It is a small ingredient called selenium, and it's added to all pet foods because AAFCO says that it's important in order for it to be uh, touted as a complete and balanced food. So, uh, what is selenium? Well, it's a mineral, 
and it's also an antioxidant which functions uh, with vitamin E and certain enzymes to protect cells. So it's really important, but there's two different versions of selenium yeast that's typically used in pet foods. And while one of them is amazing, that's selenium yeast, that's what's used in Nature Select and very few other foods. Um, that, that version of selenium not only uh, works as a great antioxidant, but it also can help reduce cancers. So that is the reason we use it. It's a little more expensive than the other version, which is sodium selenite. Now, sodium selenite is used in many other pet foods, including four and five star pet foods, but it is a uh, cheaper version, and I guess their nutritionists just aren't as good as others, and they've gone uh, with something that isn't as effective. So it actually acts as a pro-oxidant, which actually can uh, break down cells and cause um, some other issues. And in fact, it can actually be toxic uh, if it's used in, um, if there's too, of, too much of it found. Well, you also have to take into account that you do get selenium from other ingredients. So if you're getting the sodium selenite in its form in the food, and then you're also getting it from meats and some plants, you gotta be careful that you're not getting too dangerous of levels there because those can cause some issues. So um, it's better to go with selenium yeast. So flip your bag of food over if you're not feeding Nature Select and see it, what you're, you're feeding your pet. That is something that's really important and something that I would highly recommend. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out on our Facebook page, the 12 Minute Dog Podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks and have a great day.